if you all would turn to Acts chapter 20, we're going to talk a little bit about the life of Paul and being an example worth following. Acts chapter 20. We'll go ahead and read through verses 17 through 24, and we'll pray once again, and then we'll begin our study tonight. It says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you, and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Heavenly Father, once again, as we come into this place to study your word, we pray that it would be a worship of you. We pray that our attentiveness would be upon you, that, that we would desire to, to hear your spirit speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would give me your words to speak and not my own, and, and that everything that is not of you would just fall by the wayside, and that everything that you desire to, to impart to us tonight, that those would be the things that we hold on to. Lord, we also continue to lift up the Delvaya family in prayer to you. We pray for Sal Sr., that you would bring healing, and Lord, that if it's your will that, that he would go home with you, we pray, Lord, for the family, that you would continue to to show yourself strong on their behalf and that you would give them strength, that you would give them comfort during this time. So we ask and pray all of these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as we get into this particular section of Acts, Paul is nearing the end of his earthly life. He's nearing the end of his ministry, at least in, in what he would expect. He still has a couple of years left. He still has a journey that takes place, and it, it goes through the, the Roman prisons and all the different things that, that take place after that. But he knows that the end of his free ministry, so to speak, is coming to an end. And, and so he's getting to this place where he's basically giving his last thoughts and his exhortations to different church leaders. And so he calls for the leaders of the church in Ephesus. And as he brings them, he begins by sharing his example. And I believe that one of the greatest tools that we've been gifted with as we minister to others, both inside and outside of the church, is the example of Jesus Christ. But not just pointing back to Jesus, but also that example as it's lived out in our own lives. We've talked about this many, many times before, and I think that it's important that we be reminded of that, but we are called to live as Jesus lived, that we are called to be an example within the body and also to the world outside. And so it's a tremendous tool. And I've shared before that my grandmother used to tell me all the time that you can be an example of how to do something right or you can be a warning of how not to do it. And it, that stuck with me, and I think that it's very, very applicable when we talk about the Christian life, that we can be an example of how to do this correctly, or we can be a warning of how not to get it done correctly. 
And so at this point in Paul's life, there had been a lot of ministry that had taken place. It's been a roughly 20-year time span between when he first had this conversion and now this farewell meeting with the leaders in Ephesus. And over this time, Paul had the opportunity to live and to be involved in ministry in many different areas of the world and also in many different stages of the Christian life. He'd been a baby Christian, drawing heavily upon his pre-conversion life. And that was really all he had when he first came to know Jesus. And most of us can remember that time where we were just so excited that we knew Jesus and we wanted to tell others about him, even though we didn't know a whole lot about him. But it was just an exciting time. And so he drew heavily upon his pre-conversion life. Then later on, he'd been a young, devout follower of Jesus, ministering on the mission field in foreign lands. And he had become a, a very seasoned spiritual disciple of Jesus. And he had a heart for discipling those younger than him in the faith. And now as we get towards the end of his life, he's this weathered veteran in both life and ministry, but most importantly, he's still a man that has wholeheartedly devoted his life to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you go through and, and you see the example that he was in so many different ways, and he understood that. He was still trying to point people to Jesus. He was never trying to receive the glory. He was never trying to draw people to himself, but he understood that his example was a tremendous tool in his ministry. And so having been through all of these stages and seasons of life, ministry and his relationship with Jesus, Paul has a wealth of experience to draw from and he used his example many times in his ministry. There are a ton of different passages that we can go through, but I just wanted to share a few with you. The first one is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 17. And Paul writes, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. And so he's telling them to be like him. He says, I urge you in verse 16 to imitate me, to be like me. And then he says in verse 17, I sent Timothy to you, my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, who will remind you of what my life represents and who I've given my life to. It's not that he will remind you of my ways and the period. It says, and he will remind you of my ways in Christ, because that's still where the glory and the honor goes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, imitate me, but he doesn't stop there. He says, just as I also imitate Christ. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, he says, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, to follow us, to follow this example. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. And so even in the work that he did, even in the job that he did, he was giving an example of what it looked like to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because everywhere that we go, that should be on full display. It's not something that we should be able to turn on and off depending on who we're with or depending on how politically correct it might be. 
We have to be an example of Jesus in everything that we say, everything that we do, and everywhere that we go. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, he says, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. He says, he's talking about different things in all of these passages, different areas of the Christian life, but the, the meaning, the, the understanding is the same, that there's an example, there's a pattern that you've been given. And the last one is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, where he says, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me, in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And so he says, hold fast that pattern of sound words that you found in me, that you heard from me, and also that you saw in me. And do this, keep this, by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And we've talked many, many times before about that as well, that it is not in our own giftings, in our own power, to be able to live this life, to live an example worth following. It has to be something that's done supernaturally. It has to be the Holy Spirit dwelling within us that's empowering us to live this life in the way that Jesus desires. But it wasn't only the good things that Paul highlighted about himself. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into this ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. And so he says here, pattern, as an example, as, as something that other people can look to and recognize as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. And this was about the negative part of his life. Notice what he's talking about, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and then he says, of whom I am chief, not of whom I was chief, not of whom at some point way, way back, not at some point before I was converted, but he says, of whom I am still chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy. That means that, that I'm not receiving all of the punishments that I so rightly deserve, that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering. And what a great reminder that is for us. And so we see in Paul the example worth following, both on the positive and the negative. Being able to see all the things that he was doing correctly, but also recognizing that when that time comes that we fall, that there is grace, that there is mercy, and that there is long suffering for those that desire to be the children of God. And so as he speaks here to these leaders, he's exhorting them, not do as I say, not as I do, but instead exhorting them to do as I have done. In verse 18, all the way back in Acts chapter 20, he says, you know from the first day, from the very first day that I came among you, in what manner I always lived among you, from the very first moment that I met you, from what manner I have served, 
serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. So the first thing there is to be served with humility. Paul, as we look back, I'm sure that there was a, an understanding back then, maybe not to the depth and the understanding that we have now, but an understanding that this was a godly man, that this was a man who, who really had a deep relationship with Jesus Christ, that this was someone that they could look to to help them see Jesus more clearly. And so he, he had the ability to be able to say, look at me and leave it at that. He could have been puffed up, but it says, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility. And then the next thing, with many tears and trials, with many heartbreaking experiences and battles, both spiritual and physical, and even oftentimes from his own peers, from, from maybe his own friends, the Jews. But then in verse 20, he says, how I kept nothing back that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he did this publicly, openly, proudly, sharing the full counsel of the word of God, as we're going to see in a little bit. And he shared Jesus with everyone. He didn't discriminate. It wasn't something that he reserved only for specific times or specific places. He shared Jesus with everyone. In other passages, we read how the, the prison guards, I, I'm sure that they were probably terrified of having to spend time with Paul because that just meant they were going to hear another sermon. And yet, Paul did so much ministry all the time, everywhere, every situation that he found himself in. And it's just one more testament to, to that example that he lived and to the example that we're supposed to be setting and following. And that is that we are the same wherever we go. On Sunday nights, we just wrapped up a school of ministry. And one of the last things that we talked about in our servant leadership course was talking about character. And the character that we're supposed to have that's deeper than a reputation. A reputation is just what other people can see, what other people hear about you, what other people see about you. But your character, that runs so much deeper because your character is what you're like when no one's around. And if you're like me, if you're like most of us, our reputation a lot of times is much better than our actual character. We are still messed up people. You know, I, I, it seems like every time that, that I, I get behind a pulpit to share, that's something that, that has to come out. And, and I think part of it is God reminding me that I am still messed up and letting it be known that, that none of us is perfect. That even as we're striving to get as close as possible to Jesus, even as we're in the midst of, of being used, being filled with the Spirit, that it is still so possible for us to yank ourselves right out of that place and to put ourselves right back into sin. And it only takes a moment. It's not something that, that has to be thought out, that has to be planned out, although sometimes we are guilty of that. Sometimes it's an instantaneous thing. Something comes up and we still respond in a way that we know we shouldn't, but we just got caught up in the moment. And yet we are called to be this example all the time, to share Jesus with everyone, both in the things that we say and also in the things that we do, and also as a preparatory measure for that in the things that no one else sees except Jesus. That we are called to be different. We're called to be like Jesus. 
And then you get to verse 22 and it says, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And so Paul already has a pretty good understanding. It says basically that everywhere that I go, I, I don't know exactly what's waiting for me when I get to Jerusalem, but I do know that I have to go, that that's part of, part of the plan that God has for my life. And I do know that everywhere else that I go, everyone warns me not to go because it's going to be difficult, that chains and tribulations await me. And so even though he knows that he's had a difficult life, I mean, you go through the life of Paul, and there were some very, very challenging times. Everyone deserted him. He, he writes in different letters about all the people that have left him, that have just left him hanging, about the people that, that were with him until things got difficult, and then they disappeared, and they left him to suffer on his own. He talks about the, the challenges of being shipwrecked, of being in prisons, horrible, horrible prisons, worse than any prisons that, that we have here in our country today. He talks about being bitten by snakes, about being robbed, about being beaten. And yet in all of these things, he knows that it's about to get much worse. And yet in verse 24, he can say, none of these things moves me. None of these things moves me. None of these things causes me to deviate, to move away from the plan that I know that God has for my life. None of these things is enough for me to say, you know what, God, I hear you, but I don't want to go anymore. And I think that that's a powerful, powerful testimony. That's a great example for us to, to be left with. Because sometimes we look at the life of Jesus and we say, well, yeah, but, but he's perfect. Well, I, I understand that I'm supposed to be like Jesus and I'm supposed to do just like, like he did in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, you know, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And we understand that. We recognize that. We talk about it. We proclaim it. And we believe it. Sometimes until we have to live it. And then we excuse it and we say, well, yeah, but, but he was the son of God. It's very, very different to be completely filled and imbued with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's so different than, than our lives. And yet we're given this example of a, an earthly man, a fallible person, someone that had done terrible things and continued to believe that he was the chief of all sinners and he is able to honestly say, none of these things move me. None of these things shake me away from the plan that God has for my life and none of these things will keep me from following him. Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. And that is definitely not something that you would expect to hear in the middle of this section. He's talking about going to Jerusalem, not knowing how bad it's going to be, but knowing that it's probably going to be worse than any of the terrible things he's already been through. And he says, but none of these things move me. I don't count my life dear to myself so that I may finish with joy with joy, not with endurance, not just with commitment or faithfulness, not just with passion, but he says with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. 
What a powerful, powerful thing that is to have and to hold on to. And I truly believe that this is one of the main purposes for having this account in Acts chapter 20. Because I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands in here, but, but I know that if you are a child of God, that you've been through challenges. You know, we, there's, there's a reason that you read through the book of Psalms, and there are so many passages about how difficult this life is. Because it is. It is challenging. You know, we've been studying on Sunday mornings through the book of John, and, and Jesus is talking about all of these things in the Garden of Gethsemane, about how difficult this life is going to be, and that he's not asking for us to get removed from the world, but that God would keep us, that he would protect us, that he would guard us, that he would guide us, that he would use us in the midst of this world. And Paul lived that out. Paul lived that out. And so he still talks about being unmoved and finishing with joy. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, he says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. I know to have very, very little next to nothing. And I know to have more than I could manage to have or to handle. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we know verse 13, we, we put it on bumper stickers, we, we have it in Upward Basketball, this Christian basketball league for children. We have it all over the place. But do we recognize verse 12? That he says, I know how to suffer. I know how to suffer. I understand how to suffer and how to count it all joy. I know how to persevere in the midst of that and count it all joy. And not only that, I know that it might get more difficult in the future, but I still want to finish with joy. Do we have that kind of a passion, that kind of a desire, that kind of an understanding that we can say that the Lord is my strength? The Lord is my strength. That in everything that I, I face in this life, that the Lord is my strength and that that is more than enough. That that is more than enough for everything that concerns me. You know, there is great encouragement that others find in our example when we truly allow Jesus to be our everything, to be our strength, to be our comfort, to be our peace, and we allow him to receive the glory. Over the weekend, I had the opportunity to, to go and to do a couple of hospital visits. And it is always a, a challenging thing in one way or another to go and to, to share in the hospital or to do a sick visit. Because the first thing is that you never know what kind of a, a spirit they're in, what kind of a place they're in spiritually. You know, is it, is it something that, that there's this reliance upon God? Or is there some, some sort of a, a, a desire to, to get out of it, to, to move away from it? Sometimes there's anger and frustration. Sometimes it's despair. And you never really know going in. And yet in all the hospital visits and the sick visits that I've ever been through. God has received so much glory and there's been a tremendous move of his spirit. And many times, I'll be honest, it's not because of me or anything that I said or did. And this weekend was no different. I think I was ministered to more by the people that I visited than I was able to minister to them. And it was just such an encouragement to see the difficulties, the physical difficulties that these two men were going through and to hear their heart and to know 
as you look into their eyes, as you listen to the things that they're saying, that they truly believed it with all their heart. That it wasn't just things that they had heard or things that they knew that they were supposed to say or, or things that, that they had read. It was something that they knew. Deep down in their heart, it was something that they knew. And they found rest. They found encouragement. They found peace. They found hope even. Even in the midst of having a, a, a diagnosis that says, you're not long for this world, that there was still hope because there was a hope beyond this life and they trusted in that. They truly trusted in that. And that is an amazing thing. And, and it's something that, that as you go through difficult times in your life, in these challenging situations, there are so many times that I wonder how people do this without God. Now, how does the world survive through some of these challenging things? But we have this hope that we can trust in Jesus, that, that we know that he has a perfect plan in place, and we know even beyond all of that, that whatever his will is, that if we are trusting in him, that if we have given our lives to him, if he is truly not just our Savior, but also our Lord, if we have given our lives to him, that he would be able to challenge us, to correct us, to change us, to mold us and shape us to be more like him, that if we have allowed that to begin taking place and we continue to desire that, that one, he is faithful to complete that, but two, that there's so much beyond this life. There's so much beyond this life to look forward to. And so, sure, it's fearful sometimes. There, there are things that we don't know. We don't know what it's going to be like. We trust and we rest that it's going to be better than anything that we've experienced here because God has said it will be, but we don't know exactly what it's going to be like. But we find rest, we find this hope in Jesus. And so there's an understanding here that he's already run with joy and he wants to finish that way and he has this hope to look forward to. And the greatest ministry that Paul felt called to was to testify, to share his firsthand intimate knowledge of the gospel of the grace of God. He wasn't sharing something that he'd never experienced. He wasn't sharing something that he didn't believe or didn't recognize or didn't see in his own life. He wasn't sharing something that he didn't understand. He was sharing something that he experienced. He had what I refer to as a walking, living, breathing relationship with Jesus Christ. A walking, living, breathing relationship with Jesus Christ. That in everything that he did, Jesus was a part of it. Now we know, as you study through the, the word of God, that he never leaves us or forsakes us. And we know that. And we talk about it, that, that God is always there. You talk to a, a little child that's been, been brought up inside of a church that, that has gone through Sunday school, and they, they tell you, you know, where, where's Jesus? He's in my heart. You know, Jesus is always there. And Jesus is always watching. And sometimes we, we don't recognize the, the negative, I guess, if you want to call it that. Is that Jesus is always watching. Even when we're doing the things that we're not supposed to. That Jesus is always watching. And that can serve as such a helpful reminder. It's not supposed to be a negative thing. It's not something that should cause us to hang our heads in shame. It should be something that keeps us accountable. 
And it helps us to recognize the things that are not as they should be in our lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And what was the reason that he was crucified? It was for all of those sins. Not just the ones that we previously committed, but also the ones that, that will happen in the future. That he was crucified for all of these things. And it's such a helpful reminder to, to think about those sins that we're preparing to commit. That those are the things, those are the reasons that he had to go through what he went through. And not only that, but that it grieves the heart of God and that he's right there watching. He's right there. He's never missed a moment. You know, as a parent, there are times that, that I miss out on great things that happen in my kids' lives. God never misses a moment, good, bad, or otherwise. He is always there. He is the perfect father. The perfect father, he's always there. And so he says, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. In the reality of who I am in this life, I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. That means I didn't do a great job. It wasn't something that, that you could look to and say, well, it's because you're such a great speaker. Or you're so gifted at sharing these things. He says, my speech and my preaching were, were not good. They were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And there is tremendous power in the Word of God. Not in the actual physical book, but in the things that are contained therein. The truths of the Word of God, the truths that have been left for us. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so we need to be an example and allow others to follow that example. But they need to see Jesus in our example. They need to see the power of God in our lives so that their faith is not in us, but in the God that we serve. And it's a very, very easy thing to get that faith misplaced. It's a very, very easy thing to get that faith misplaced. When we look to others to be the, the bearing, when we look to others to be the benchmark, sometimes we, we fail to see Jesus. We fail to recognize who it is that they're serving, who it is that we serve. You know, it's something that people talk about all the time when asked why they don't go to church. Well, there's a bunch of hypocrites there. And that's true. There are. But they're not, we're not coming here so we can just hang out with a bunch of other hypocrites, right? I mean, we're coming, supposedly, hopefully, to hang out with Jesus. To spend time together as one family, as one body in Christ, not tearing each other down, but desiring to keep each other accountable, to pick each other up, so that we could all be of one heart, of one mind, of one spirit, to be able to worship, to fellowship with Jesus Christ. And I've shared before that this life really boils down to one decision. It's all about one simple thing. And that is to love Jesus with all that we are or not to. And there really isn't an in-between. 
You either love Jesus with all your heart and with all that you are, or you don't. And if we can't say that we do, then we don't. And when it comes to that decision in the lives of those around us, our innocence is determined by our willingness to share Jesus with them. Back in Acts chapter 20, verse 25, Paul says, And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. He says, I I know that it's coming to an end. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And we've already talked about it. Paul wasn't saying that he was perfect or that he had always said the exact right thing or said it in the best way possible or at the most opportune time or that he had handled every situation perfectly. He was sharing that his active mission, his active desire in this life was to share everything that God was sharing with him. That he had a relationship with Jesus, and as Jesus began to show him more and more things, he had more and more things that he wanted to share with those around him. And so he was doing this. And there are times that we fail to do the right thing. There are times that we fail to say the right thing. Sometimes that we even say the complete wrong thing, or we act the wrong way. But how we follow that up is crucially important in this life. And it's not to say that it's okay to mess up because that should never be our desire or attitude. We should never have this this totally carefree, careless attitude about, well, you know, if I blow it, it's okay because God already knew that that I was going to mess it up. That's not the attitude. But the understanding is that even as we try to be perfect, that we will mess up, that we will make mistakes, that sometimes we will get in the way of what God is trying to speak to us and teach us to do and work through us to do. So it's important that we own up to our shortcomings and then that we correct them when we strive not to repeat them. You know, I've I've stopped short of, of just going through the, the laundry list of sins, but, but I've made it very clear every time that I've shared that I'm a messed up person. I am just as messed up, maybe more so, than a lot of you in here. I still struggle with things all the time. There is not a single day that I can remember that I have not struggled. It is a challenge. It is always a challenge. And it's not that you have to be perfect before you can be an example. It's that you have to desire to love Jesus with all that you are. And then you can be an example. You know, David is the one that we point to all the time. The man after God's own heart. And you look at some of the stupidity in his life. And yet he was a man after God's own heart. Because he desired to draw closer to God. Even as he fell, he desired to get back up and to get closer. Again, Sunday night, we're, one of the things that Pastor Charlie was sharing in the servant leadership course is that, that we need to get to that place where we're desiring to move closer. And we understand that it's not always a straight line. That sometimes you take a few steps forward and you take a step back. And then you take a few more forward. And then you might take a couple back. The problem is when you're moving further back then you're moving forward every time. Our desire has to be to draw closer and to be continually getting closer. And we also have to be sure to share, to live out the whole counsel of God. 
and not just pick and choose what fits our situation, not to over glorify certain good qualities that, that we can exhibit in our lives and to minimize the sins that, that are readily apparent in us. Again, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but, but how many of you know that sin can be fun? I mean, that, that's a strange question, I'm sure, to hear from a pastor from a pulpit. But that's the truth. The sin can be fun. And that's part of what makes it so difficult to say no. How many of you know that stopping a long-standing sin can be hard? It's not one of those things that God just always relieves. That you pray about it and God just says, okay, well, here it is. And then I no longer ever have a, a, a desire or a temptation in that ever again. With some things and with some people, that is the case. But not always. Not always. How many of you know that telling someone else that there's something in their life that God doesn't approve of can be dangerous? Because you can lose a friend. Because you can receive hurtful things in return. Because maybe someone can even physically want to harm you. And did you know that there are professing Christians and churches out there today, even now as we speak, I'm sure, that purpose, purposefully avoid large sections of the Bible because it might offend someone who's living a life that disagrees with God's word. And so instead of offending that person because their life disagrees with God, we'll just skip through that. We won't talk about that. That's not love. That's not the example that we've been given. Others choose not to avoid it, but instead try to excuse it. Talk about how it isn't relevant anymore or explain things away by saying that the Bible isn't really God's word. It's just some kind of a tool that man was given to draw us to God, to help us understand God more. And that's not the truth either. If you want to be innocent of the blood of all men, as Paul was sharing he was, then we have to live it, we have to breathe it, we have to share it, and we have to do it with all of it. The whole counsel of the word of God. In verse 28 of Acts 20, he says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And so he says, the first thing that you have to do to get this right to be innocent of the blood of all men is to take heed to yourselves and then to all the flock. And yes, he's speaking to the leaders of the church here, but there's an exhortation there for every single child of God that the Holy Spirit is still working in all of us. And so we have all been purchased with this precious blood. And so we still need to take heed to ourselves and to those that are around us. And in verse 20, 29, he says, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. And again, he is talking to the leaders of the church and he's saying these are the terrible things that are going to happen from within this group of people. He says, I know this, that after my departure, there's going to be savage wolves that are going to come in. But then in verse 30, that also from among yourselves, from inside the body of Christ, from inside the church, men are going to rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. 
And we see that. Again, being an example worth following is not to draw people to us. It's to draw people to Jesus and help them to see that imperfect, fouled up people can still want to love Jesus and want to live perfect. That's why we we tell people to imitate us. Because we're messed up. And if we can be messed up and still follow Jesus, still love Jesus with all our heart, then so can you. That's the example worth following. But first, we need to be aware of our own relationship with Jesus so that we can help those around us. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, one of the most often misquoted sections in the Word of God, it says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so many people use this, both inside and outside the church, to say, you can't tell me that what I'm doing is wrong. And yet that's not at all what this passage is talking about. This passage has more to do with us not being puffed up with us not overlooking our own sin. It's not about disregarding the sin that's taking place around us. It's not about loving the people by not telling them that what they're doing is wrong. It's about recognizing that we are still messed up and that we still need to be corrected, that we still need to be washed and cleansed and purified, that we still need to work at being sanctified every day. That we have to work for that. And sanctified is a word that gets tossed around in churches, but really it just means to be set apart. That's what it means to be holy, is to be set apart for a specific purpose, for a use by God. And that takes work, and that takes conscionable effort. That's something that we have to think about. Conscious effort. We have to think about it. Condemning one another is never acceptable because God's extended tremendous mercy and grace towards each of us, but we do need to help each other be accountable. We need to sharpen each other. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, let us consider one another to look at one another, to be aware of one another, to be actively involved in one another's lives in order to stir up love and good works, in order to to make those things happen, to challenge them. Those things don't just happen on their own. We have to be challenged. Those things have to be stirred up. And he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. So he says that what we're doing right now, this is important. This is important. We need to be getting together. We need to be assembling together, not only to fellowship with Jesus, not only to worship, and not only to fellowship with each other, but also to be actively involved in each other's lives. To be able to, as iron sharpens iron, sharpen the countenance of your friend, that the things that come out of our mouths would edify, would build up, would strengthen the body. That we would be able to be encouraged after being challenged, sometimes after being corrected. 
to do this thing right. And he says, not to forsake that, as is the matter of some, but exhorting one another. Exhorting, it's a, it's a great Bible word. We, I mean, how often do we actually use that word in common practice? You know, well, I just want to exhort you. Really, outside of the church, it rarely happens. You know, inside the church, well, I just want to exhort you, brother. But, I mean, when's the last time that you were outside the church and you said, you know, boss, I just want to exhort you. You know, buddy, I, I just want to exhort you. I, I, I've never, never once told my kids, you know, I just want to exhort you. But we exhort, we, we do it, we challenge to be better. We challenge to be better. That's really what it means to exhort. To challenge to be better than what we've been. To exhort one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. And we, we've never been closer to the return of Jesus Christ. We've been going through these prophetic parts of the Bible in Ezekiel and, and now we're, we're in in a, another section that, that has parts that are prophetic, Hosea. But we see all of these things taking shape. You look at some of the things that are going on in the Middle East, there, there are things that are set up right now to happen the way the Word of God predicted that have never been able to be fulfilled. That never in the history of mankind has everything lined up as perfectly as it is lined up right now for some of these things to take place. So we know the day is approaching. And so we have to be prepared. And all of this stuff that's going on inside the church, we have to be aware of. And these perverse wolves sometimes have huge followings because they're inclusive or because they're politically correct or because they love the people. And they're not closed-minded or bigoted or homophobic or sexist or old-fashioned or conservative or whatever other words the world wants to declare us to be when we stand upon the Word of God. We need to be faithful to warn the people inside and outside the physical church that Jesus is coming soon. He promised we believe it, and if we believe it, we need to let people know. They need to make a decision about Jesus before that happens. They need to make a decision about him before he comes back. And it's plain and simple. We, we make it sound much more difficult than it really is. And it, it was one of those things that, that God really ministered to my heart during that hospital visit. As I was talking to, to one of the gentlemen and he was sharing that, you know what, I, I don't have any worries. I really don't. I don't have any worries. I know who my maker is. I know who my, who my Lord is. I know who my boss is. I, I know where I'm going. And if he wants to take me, then, then I'll be happy. If he wants to leave me here, I'll be happy. If he wants to keep me in the hospital, I'm going to share Jesus with every nurse that comes in the, the room. That's the example. That is the example. And, and I'm sure that he's not a perfect man. I'm sure that there are things that, that, that he struggles with too. But what an example that is for us to recognize that the world still has to make a decision about Jesus. And that if they don't choose Jesus, then they've chosen to be against him. And we know what that leads to. We know they're going to hell. And it's not something that we want to talk about. Especially when, when we see somebody dying that we know doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. We don't want to talk about where they're going to go. 
I think that's one of the most difficult parts of, of doing a, a funeral service is when, when I'm asked to do a service and I honestly don't know. I mean, I, to be perfectly honest, we never really know. You, you know your relationship with Jesus. I know my relationship with Jesus, but we can kind of look and we get an idea, but nobody knows for sure about anybody else because only we have that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. But when you go and you're asked to do a service and you know that there's almost no chance that this person is in heaven, it's a difficult thing to be able to, to share comfort. But it's also an opportunity because it's an opportunity to let others know that might be in that same boat that they need to make a choice. They need to get right. Maybe some of you in here tonight haven't made that choice and you, you just come to church or you just do, do Christian things. You do churchy religious things. You need to get that right. You need to get that figured out. We need to be able to have a heart that breaks for the things that break God's heart. We need to have a, a heart that is broken when we sin. We need to have a heart that is broken for the people that don't know Jesus Christ. And it should cause us to have love and good works stirred up within us. And we need to be those kind of people in each other's lives. You know, one of the things that, that I truly believe God has given as part of, of the, the things that he wants to do in this fellowship here at Calvary Chapel of El Paso in this year is to be more of a, a family, more of a fellowship, to be able to get outside of our comfort zones a little bit more and to be able to get into the lives of other people. Not to be busybodies and not to be gossips and, hey, did you hear what so-and-so's dealing with? Or, hey, did you know that, that I saw so-and-so at this place doing this thing? But to be able to be there, to be those people that would edify, that would build up, that if need be, that we would exhort to be better than we are, and that in a worst case, that we would be there to help and to correct the things that need to be corrected. But that we would always be able to do it in love because our hearts would be broken for the things that are wrong in our lives and in those around us. And as you jump all the way down, as we prepare to close tonight, you jump down to verse 32 in Acts chapter 20. He says, Now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And that's everything that we've been talking about here. Everything that we've been talking about here, to be able to build each other up, to have an inheritance among all those who are sanctified, who are set apart, who are called children of God. But notice what he says about it. He says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to do this. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Understanding that in our own wisdom, our own strength, we can't help anybody. We can't even honestly help ourselves. You know, is the blind lead the blind? That, that's what it would be. But when we commend ourselves, when we commit ourselves to God and to the word of his grace, to studying his word, to, to understanding who he is, to building that relationship with him, to having that two-way communication with him, to not just pray at him, but to pray by speaking with him. 
to pray and to ask that God would speak to our hearts and that we would be able to listen, to hear the, to, the difficult things that he wants to tell us, not just the easy things, to be able to study the full, whole counsel of the word of God, even the parts that disagree with our lives so that we would be able to be challenged, to be made different, to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be more like him so that then we can help others do the same and beyond that so that we can help those that have never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ understand the need for Jesus and the importance of that decision. People need to know Jesus, and we need to be people that others can look at and say, that person knows Jesus. I can tell they've spent time with Jesus today, and that's something that I need, that's something that I want. How do I get it? And then to be able to answer that question. We're called to be a part of the ministry of Jesus here on the earth, but we can only do part of it. We can only do so much. Everything is ultimately in God's hands, so we need to be faithful to commend others unto him as well, to give them to him knowing that he's the only one that can truly change a person's character, that can change a person's heart. In Psalm 127 verses one and two, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. We find rest and comfort in that knowledge, that it has to be God that builds the house. It has to be God that guards the city. It has to be God that does all of it. We find everything in him. When we are faithful to look to him for everything, for the strength, for the wisdom, for the peace, for the understanding, the discernment, for comfort, for correction, for love, for joy, all of it. When we look to him, he is so faithful to give it to us. And he gives us rest. He gives us sleep. And he restores us. He recharges us. And he prepares us to go out and to do more for his glory and for his honor. So in closing, may you be reminded that God has a perfect work that he is trying to accomplish in and through you and that we can be innocent of the blood of all men and be able to bring others to a saving grace. And that's a beautiful, beautiful gift. I mean, I, I tell stories about it and I, I still fondly remember. It was a long time ago. It's been literally 30 years since I led the first person that, that I ever had the opportunity to lead the first person to Jesus Christ. I had just become a Christian. I had just gotten saved. I was eight years old and it was a VBS and you know I was just scared, just scared out of my mind that that I was going to go to hell but also that the rapture was going to happen and I was going to get left behind. I had watched this this crazy Christian video and, and the, this kid, he went, they were at a party, he goes into the kitchen and when he comes back he's got his drink and everybody's gone. And that just scared the life out of me. I was eight years old. And so I turned around and I scared the life out of my little brother because he needed it too. Like if, if the, he was the first one, like I was eight years old and, and things are so simple when you're a kid. I was eight years old, I now knew where I was going. I now knew I was going to heaven and I had a, the beginnings of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the most important people to me were the first ones that I wanted to share Jesus with. 
And the first ones were already saved. They were my parents. So very, very close on that list was my brother. And I scared him. Within a week of me getting saved, he got saved. Because it was a, a nightly thing. I, I don't know if he ever told my parents that's why he was getting scared at night. But, but it was a, a nightly thing, you know. I may not be here when you wake up. You know, it scared him into heaven. And sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes it takes just being there. Pray for discernment. Pray for opportunities. Pray for wisdom. You know, that's, that's one of the things that, that God is really, really trying to grow me in personally. Because... When, I, when I'm at work here, it's a very, very limited exposure, if you will. And I don't get the opportunity to really share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a non-believer. Because hopefully, if they're here, they're already in that family. But that's one of the things that I, I really, really miss about working in the world. Is being able to, to have those conversations. And, and I can promise you that if you desire to be an example worth following, if you ex desire to live a life that you can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ, there are going to be people that are going to come and ask you. It's not even going to have to be something that, that you're struggling to find opportunities. People are going to come and ask you. People are going to come and ask you to pray for them. People that, that might have ridicule, ridiculed you about being a Christian, about you know, your faith, or, oh, you got to go to church, but then something terrible happens, and you're one of the first people that they want to talk to about it. The opportunities will come if you ask for them. And then be faithful when God presents those opportunities. Take heed to yourselves. We all need to live by that, to take heed to ourselves and then to look at others and to see what we can do to help them, not to hurt them, not to, to leave them behind, not to hide things from them, but to share the full counsel of the Word of God, not just with the things that we say, but also with the things that we do. Amen?